0: Well, turn in your copy of Scripture to Mark chapter one. We begin a new series today called "Lord of All." Uh, we're also going to use some technology today. We'll see how this goes. Dun um, dun 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 dun. Bum ba 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 ba. Okay. Oh, thank you. There it is. All right. Let me ask you a question. Um, if uh, if you needed some answers to bad news, um, what would the bad news be that you need answers to? Is that confusing enough? What's some bad news that you need some answers to? What are some bad news? You got to, you, you're just going to have to bust out. What? Okay, medical diagnosis. Is that right? Medical. Okay. School. Yeah, that that was last time too. School shootings. All right, what else? Death. Like why it happens or... Death. We know it does happen. Okay, job, sit- stuff. Wait, what? Abandonment. I'm thinking relationally. Is that right? Is that what we're thinking? Abandonment, relationship? Okay. There was one down here at the front. Suffering. Somebody said the economy. Would you say the economy or just just somebody back there? Oh, You want to throw it in there, Wayne? Did you all hear that? Taxation without representation. We'll just leave it at the economy. Patrick Henry, come alive. All right. What else? What? Okay, we got abuse. And what was this back here? Marriage. Marriage. All right, what else? Children. Bad news about children. Not good news about children, right? Okay, so we're... I mean... Or it could just be questions. What in the world are my kids doing? You know, children ask that about their parents too. What in the world are my parents doing? My girls ask that all the time. What in the world is he doing? What else? I'm sorry? Change? Is that change? Just just change. How old are you? Seriously, how? Fifteen. Change hits everybody, doesn't it? All right. When I was 15, I moved from Beaumont. No, I moved from Dallas, Texas to Beaumont, Texas. Oh, that was ugly. Change. And I ended up loving Beaumont. Oop, change. All right, what else? I Apathy. Apathy. So, Elba, we're trying to get rid of our own apathy or why other people are apathetic either all all of the above apathy okay okay aging parents <laughs> I, we're going to end with that one cuz i've run out of room in laws You know, and all those are great, um, great examples of tough things that we have to deal with and, and questions that we have uh, that are constantly in front of us. The things that we, uh, we have to navigate through and try to figure out how to navigate those th- through those things. Uh, the big questions like uh, the shooting in Connecticut. I mean, those are some big questions. Or, or why change happens. Or or uh, uh, why suffering happens, or abuse or abandonment. Uh, Those are some big questions that uh, don't always come with um, a boxed answer. And yet today, as we begin this new series, as we go through uh, the Gospel of Mark, we're going to discover how that there is an answer to these questions. It's going to sound pretty churchy, and it is kind of churchy. By the way, you're in church. But the answer to every question is that Jesus is Lord. The answer to every question is that Jesus is Lord. Now, you might say, well, that's a cheat. And and I know it seems like that. It may even feel like that. But if you and I would sit down and we were to walk through Mark's gospel together, I would try to help you understand how that, that is exactly what Mark was trying to do. God had inspired Mark to write this Gospel, this account of Jesus, to help people who had questions like you and I have questions, bad news like you and I have bad news, except they were at a whole nother level. You see, John wrote the John Mark wrote this, uh, uh, wrote this gospel in around 60 to 68 AD. And it was during that time that a Roman emperor named Nero decided that Christians needed to be lion bait. And he made it his business to persecute, to destroy Christians. He blamed them for a lot of things. By the way, it's a whole lot easier. If you're wondering how to do relationships, can I just give you, this is, this is Eric, but I can show you the scripture later. But the, and this is free, doesn't have anything to do with this sermon. Uh, Nero blamed the Christians for a lot of things. In your relationships, instead of blaming, just take responsibility. Don't, don't point your finger at everybody else. Don't point your finger all the time at your husband. I'm just kidding. She never does. She never blames me. Uh, or, or your wife. Hey, don't, don't blame. Take responsibility. You might say, well, it's not my responsibility. I'm telling you, if you're in a relationship, if you're in a marriage, yeah, it's your responsibility. Own it. Anyway, that's free. Now, I, I'm doing life rules, and that's one of my life rules. I haven't put it up yet, but that's one of my life rules. Uh, don't, don't cast blame. Just own it. Take responsibility. Anyway, Nero blamed the Christians. They were the scapegoat for him. And, uh, and so if you were a follower of Christ, you were going to probably be arrested, lose your job, and chances are you were going to end up in a coliseum somewhere. And that was not going to be good. Um, Nero... Uh, wasn't the worst persecutor of Christians, but he was one of the worst. The worst was a guy named Commodus Severus. He was the worst emperor for Christians during that time. And I only like to say his name because it's Commodus. He, 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 giggle. Uh, Commodus Severus. And, and he had the worst persecution of Christians, I believe, uh, but Nero was pretty bad. So, so when John Mark was writing this gospel, he wasn't dealing with, well, we can't pray in school. He was dealing with, if I'm caught praying, I'm going to die. Wasn't dealing with taxation without representation or even with one school shooting in Connecticut. He was dealing with, if I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm going to be arrested and maybe put in a white-hot iron seat, made so hot that the iron turns white and put me in that seat until I die. That's the kind of persecution that they were dealing with. So, so when we read the Gospel of Mark, we need to read through the lens of that first century audience. They were, they were persecuted. They were struggling. And so John writes this letter and says, Okay, the answer to your struggle is Jesus, the Lord of all. In Mark chapter 1... Uh, we're going to look at verses 1 through 15, and, and, and what John, uh, Mark, John Mark does is he says, I'm going to give you some good news that will overwhelm your bad news, okay? And the good news is simply this. Jesus Christ has come into the world to be the answer to the chaos in our world. And that's the big picture. Jesus Christ entered the scene of human history to be the answer in our world that is filled with chaos. Jesus came to be the answer, capital T, capital H, capital E, the answer. He wasn't just an answer for that moment in time. He is the answer for all of time because he is the Lord of all. Jesus is the Lord of all. And Mark said, hey, listen, look at verse 1. The beginning of the gospel, the beginning of the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God the beginning of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He said, here is where good news entered our world of chaos. It is in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the ultimate answer to our struggle. Jesus is the good news. The good news is not about Jesus. The good news is Jesus. He is the good news. Now, as you look at gospel, and I want you to underline verse 1, gospel. Uh, gospel is a term that we use in the church, and we use it often. We use it it about, and there are books written about the gospel, title of books called gospel. The, the, uh, this, uh, out of uh, what we're reading right now, it's called the gospel of Mark. And, and, and gospel is an ancient term. Um, Oangelion is the Greek term. Didn't that sound fancy? Ouangelion, uh is the Greek term and it means good news. That's what it means. But as you look at the Roman context and the Jewish context of that word and how it was used, uh, it communicated something very specific to the readers, and it should communicate the same thing to us today. You see, in the Roman culture, euangelion, good news, meant that the emperor was on his way. And all the benefits that the emperor had to bring as he traveled through a village or a town, they were going to be delivered to everybody there. It was good tidings. It was good tidings. An emperor is on its way. An emperor is on his way after he has won a great victory. So let's celebrate together. The emperor is on his way. So good news to the Roman context meant the king is coming. In the Old Testament, or the Jewish context, angelion or good news, uh, pointed to the great inbreaking of God's rescuing love. It is the picture of God bringing himself into the human situation. It is the picture of God bringing his comfort, his strength, his peace, his love, his hope, his mercy, his forgiveness, his power and his victory into the human setting. So when John Mark pins his gospel and he says the beginning of the good news, the gospel, the euangelion of Jesus Christ, the son of God, he's saying, here's the good news. The king is coming. God himself is invading our world of chaos, and bringing victory, and grace, and peace, and mercy, and hope into this world. In Isaiah chapter 40, Isaiah chapter 40, the prophet Isaiah heard the word of the Lord and began to proclaim what God said about the coming of Jesus He he was saying, God is going to come and invade the scene of human history, and the Messiah, Jesus, will be born, and he will bring comfort to the people. You look in Isaiah chapter 40, or just write it down. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 9. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 9. The scripture says, O Zion... You who bring good tidings, angelion, good news. You who bring good tidings, get up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem, you who bring good news, lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up. Don't be afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. God invades the scene of human history in the person of Jesus Christ. Good news that overwhelms our bad news is not an idea, it's not a philosophy, it's not a teaching, it is a person. His name is Jesus, and he will set our world right. Jesus is the good news. Jesus is the good news for you and for me today because Jesus connects us with God. The reason Jesus is good news for us is because he and he alone has built a bridge between us sinners and God himself. Now, I've got to tell you, it, uh, just yesterday, um, our dryer was not drying clothes the way, uh, the way that, it, that it should. It, it, it was taking hours upon hours upon hours to, to dry stuff. Is that right? Something like that. Yeah, a little bit. She gets after me because she says I blow things up, and hours and hours. Maybe just hours. Just hours. Okay, so it was taking hours to dry stuff. So, um, My wife, being brilliant, understood that I was not the person to ask about it. She didn't call me and say, hey, honey, will you fix the dryer? No, she called the dryer fixer person. She called the person who is expert, who understands, who can fix dryers, who knows all things about dryers. And that person came in and fixed the dryer. It was wonderful. Things started drying up. When we have questions about our life, we need to go to the one who knows all things about life, who is the very maker of life. And that is God himself. Jesus is God, and he connects us with God. Now, here's what I want you to see. There were people looking for answers uh, during this time. You begin in verse 2, and John Mark goes straight uh, to John the Baptist. He says, as it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So John, who is this one crying in the wilderness, John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And, and, and then all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him and were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Stop right there for a second. Here's, here's the picture. The, the people were hungry for an answer in their bad news world. And they they were looking for answers. And so they came to John the Baptist. And John the Baptist had the right message. He said there has to be a transformation. There has to be a change that takes place. You need to get right with God if you're going to experience an answer that is satisfying to your soul. Okay, So that was the right answer and it was a good answer. And so people were flocking to John the Baptist and and, and they were uh, coming to him and they were listening to him. Verse 6, now John was clothed with camel hair and with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. He looked different. I thought about, you know, I always try to do something that that kind of brings the message alive and I thought about uh, eating some grasshoppers. But I was told by our creative team that that was a bad idea. Verse 7, and if any of y'all want to get me some grasshoppers, I'm happy to eat them. Uh, Verse 7, Then he preached saying, there comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Okay, now here's what he's saying. You are coming to get answers from me. And I've got a message to share that will point you to God, but I can't connect you with God like the one who is coming after me. There is one who is coming after me who is greater than I, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. He is Jesus. And even though I baptize you symbolically with water, he's going to come and he is going to bathe you in the very Holy Spirit of God. And that phrase, being baptized in the Holy Spirit, we've, we, we've, we've made that mean a lot of different things. In essence, it means simply this, through Jesus The Spirit of God clothes me. God himself takes up residence in my life. God connects with me intimately and personally so that God is not some distant deity, but he's right here, right now, in my life, all because of Jesus. Friends, we have questions. God's got the answer. The answer is Jesus himself because Jesus connects us with God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, the Apostle Paul says, don't you know that if you're a follower of Christ, don't you know that the, the Spirit of God dwells in you? Don't you know that you are the very temple of the Spirit of God? Because of Jesus, we are brought into immediate intimacy with God. Jesus connects us with God. As Jesus connects us with God, uh, then we find strength for life. As Jesus connects us with God, we find strength for life. Now, paint the picture. We're going to look at verses 9 through 11 in a second, but let me paint the picture. Uh, When I become a follower of Christ, when I repent my sin, embrace Jesus as Savior and King, when I become a follower of Christ, there is a change that happens on the inside of me. I am no longer the same person I used to be. I've been made different. In fact, I've been made more human than I've ever been before. I've been given a new heart and a new mind and a new life. And that heart and mind and life has for its passion the pleasure of God. You see, that is how we were created and to be fully human, you have to live with a passionate pursuit to bring pleasure to God. Now, look at verse 9, 10, and 11. Scripture says, It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee. And he was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately, coming up from the water, he saw the heavens departing, the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. And a voice came down from heaven You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So here's the picture. Jesus comes down from the mountains of Judean wilderness. John sees him. In John 129, John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He recognized Jesus. And Jesus comes to John and says, John, I need to be baptized by you. In Matthew 3, we see that John uh, is objecting. He says, Jesus, I don't need to baptize you. You need to baptize me. Remember, John had just said, there is one who is coming after me who is greater than me uh, whose, whose sandal strip, uh, sandal strap I'm not, I'm not worthy to even, even stoop down and unloose. So when Jesus says, John, you need to baptize me, John the, uh, John the Baptist says, uh-uh, you need to baptize me. But here's Jesus and his response. He says, John, let it be this way. For thus... It is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. Why was Jesus baptized? Jesus was not baptized to wash away any sin. He had none. Jesus was not baptized to join a church. <laughs> he is the bride. He is the Christ, and we're his bride. Why was Jesus baptized? Jesus was baptized for one reason. Because that's what God wanted. Thus. It is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus here demonstrates what it means to live a fully human life. That is to live for God's pleasure. To do what God wants. Now, as followers of Christ, that's our aim. That's our goal. That's our passion. That's our heartbeat. Our heart beats every person here who is a follower of Christ. And I, 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 I've got to tell you, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter how, how far from it you think you are. There is, a, there is a desire and a yearning because the Spirit of God dwells within you. There is a desire and a yearning within you to bring pleasure to God. Jesus demonstrates here in this passage... This is what it means to live, to bring God pleasure. And the heavens opened, and that heavenly smile came down, and God's voice spoke and said, Behold, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And that is the call and the cry and the smile that we all yearn to know as followers of Christ. We want to live, and to live means that we bring God pleasure and find our greatest pleasure in bringing Him pleasure. But sometimes that's hard. I mean, who am I kidding? All the time that's hard, right? To live fully human lives, there there are things that get in our way. We get in our way we start thinking that, that what I really need is what I really want. Not what God wants, not, not what will bring Him pleasure, but what will bring me pleasure. Not, not, not His words, but, but what I concoct in my own little mind. Some little strategy and scenario of, of how I ought to be living my life. Not based upon His word, based upon my thoughts. There's this struggle that gets between us and living full and, fully human lives. And Jesus experienced that struggle as well. We see it in verses 12 and 13. In verse 12 and 13, beginning verse 12, Scripture says, Immediately the Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness. Let me stop right there. The Greek term for drove is ekbalo, and it literally means to cast out. It's the same word used later uh, when, uh, when Jesus drove The money changers from the temple? Ekbalo. It's it's a driving out. And so so here's what the Spirit of God did. The Spirit of God didn't nudge Jesus. Jesus didn't go to the wilderness just by chance. The Spirit of God drove Jesus, cast him out into the wilderness. He said, you're going to go there. Why? Because Jesus needed to live a fully human life and show us how to live a fully human life, living for God's pleasure even in the face of great testing." So the Spirit of God drove Jesus into the wilderness immediately. Verse uh, 13, And Jesus was there in the wilderness for forty days, tempted by Satan, and was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered to him. Here is the beautiful picture of this passage. It's that Jesus endured the testing and came through still bringing God pleasure. I believe for 40 days, the devil was on Jesus' back. I think for 40 days. We have record of three temptations that, that the devil threw uh, Christ's way. But I think that, that every moment of those 40 days, the devil was on him. I think he was tempting him. He was, he was doing everything he could to derail Jesus from living a fully human life and bringing God pleasure with his life. I think the same thing happens to us. Uh, we, we live here and now and we think, uh, we begin to uh, become distracted by the bad news circumstances or the bad news situations or our own little questions and, and we begin to think to ourselves, what I really need is what I really want. The greatest pleasure is my pleasure. And we have all these different trinkets that are put before us We wonder, that really is what I need or that really is what I need. But Jesus has come to strengthen us so that we can live a fully human life just as he did in the face of all the testing. Now, as the devil was tempting him for those 40 days, the Scripture says that the angels were ministering to him. They were serving him. Here's what the angels were doing. They were gathered around Jesus, and the devil was whispering in his ear, and the angels were around him saying, Hey, Jesus, you can do it. Hey, Jesus, be encouraged. Hey, Jesus, we're behind you. Hey, Jesus, what can we do for you? They were shouting encouragement to Jesus. And we all need encouragement, don't we? They were shouting encouragement so that Jesus might be strengthened in that moment of temptation in those seasons of testing. And as the angels were serving Jesus, so Jesus serves us to strengthen us so that we might live fully human lives, so that we might live each moment for God's pleasure. Hebrews, chapter 4, verses 14, 15, and 16. Hebrews, chapter 4, verses 14, 15, and 16. Uh, By the way, my New Year's resolution is to recite those Scriptures slowly, not just race through them. Hebrews, chapter 4, 14, 15, and 16. Seeing then... The writer of Hebrews writes, he says, Seeing then that we have such a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but he was tested in every point, even as we are. Yet Jesus never sinned. Verse 16, therefore, let us come boldly before the throne of grace that we might find the grace and the mercy that will help us in our time of need. Here's the good news for us today. Jesus connects us with God and he ministers to us as we seek to pursue God's pleasure. He strengthens us. He strengthens us by his very presence. He strengthens us more than just by his example. He strengthens us. He walks with us. He is our counselor. He is our friend. He is the one who says, yeah, Eric, I know exactly what you're going through. I faced it too. Hey, Eric, I'm here for you. I'm going to help you. Eric, I know you're going through struggles right now. I know you have confusing questions that you need answered. Eric, I'm your answer. Hold on to me. Cling to me. Cry out to me. I will help you. Oh, gee, Eric, I know that your burden is heavy. I know that the yoke seems to be strangling you. But come to me, and I'll take it on myself. I'll walk with you. I will help you. Trust me. Cling to me. I'll strengthen you today. Now, friends, here's the deal. Jesus is the answer. And He is continually the answer. No matter what we face. He doesn't just give us a good word and then He's gone. And Jesus takes us by the hand and by the heart and He walks with us. And He serves us so that we might live fully human lives so that we might live each moment for God's pleasure. Jesus is the good news, friends. And over the next several weeks, we're going to look at how Jesus, the Lord of all, gives us himself as the good news. Jesus is the good news because he connects us with God. He is the one who stood in our place, who went to the chopping block of judgment, upon a cross and died for sinners like you and like me he is the son of God who was buried and who was dead but who rose again so that we might live Jesus is the good news but we've got to receive the good news Look at verses 14 and 15. Now, after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the good news of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe on the gospel. Repent and believe. How do we receive the good news? We repent our sin." And we believe on the good news, Jesus Christ. Some of you are here today and you have never repented. And you have not believed on Jesus. And today is the day for you to receive the good news. That you can be forgiven forever for your sin. That you can have new life in Christ. The King is here. And he opens to you the very vault of heaven. So that you might live. He offers you not an idea or a philosophy. Jesus offers to you Himself. And He says, If you will cling to me, I will forgive you and give you life. Some of you are here today, and today is the day for you to cross that line of faith and become a follower of Jesus Christ. You must repent. And you must believe. Others of us are followers of Christ today. And I would say to you just as clearly today is the day to receive the good news. You know Jesus. But are you trusting Jesus? Are you clinging to Him? To give you the strength you need so that you might pursue with great passion the pleasure of God. The message of the kingdom is very simple. Jesus is the answer. Are you looking to Jesus as your answer? So as followers of Christ today, I encourage you to come boldly before the throne of grace. Here and now that you might find the grace and the mercy that you need to help you with the in-laws. To help you in your marriage. To help you with your children. Or to help you with your parents. To help you with your lost job. To help you with the economy, and inequities. To help you understand and navigate through the abuse or the abandonment. To help you find comfort and hope in the face of death. As followers of Christ, I invite you to come boldly before the throne of grace so that Jesus might minister to you the strength you need to live. Jesus is the good news.